Hey, Camp Kids, welcome back to the Camp Kids Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Bob, and I'm on a mission to bring together a community of camp people from all around the world. Whether you are currently in your camp experience or it's been a while since you've been at camp, when you're with us, you're at home. Today, I'm bringing you an interview from the people from the Ultimate Camp Resource. If you've been in the camping community for a while, you have probably logged on to their website, theultimatecampresource.com. Today, I'm interviewing Ron and Chris who are the people behind this ultimate resource that all camp people should be a part of. They have the largest collection of camp songs, camp games, camp stories, and even camp resources for camp professionals to use with their staff. We dive into how they started getting about this resource and other items from their camp experience along the way. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Ron and Chris. First and foremost, thanks for having us. I really appreciate it. My name is Chris Pilato. I am coming to you from Chester, Connecticut. My name is Ron DeFazio, and I'm coming to you from Prospect, Connecticut. I'll start with my story. My parents dropped me off at YMCA Camp Sloper when I was six years old and essentially never picked me up. I spent all of my you know, youth and teenage years at Camp Sloper, and I was a camper and a CIT and a unit director and a CIT director. And when I went to college, I majored in finance and my senior year, I really wasn't enjoying any of the job opportunities that uh, I was interviewing for. And my roommate said, you know, you should just work at the Y like John, who was my, my boss at the time. And I was like, of course I could, or of course I should. So I left college and went to work for the Waterbury YMCA and had the honor of being the camp director at YMCA Camp Matasha for, for quite a while. And uh, during that time, you know, we spent a lot of time kind of rebuilding that camp and started a second camp in a, in a neighboring town called Camp Okasha. And uh, after that, I left being a camp director directly and went into you know more of executive roles with the Y and, and have had an, uh, an opportunity to supervise and support uh, a number of camps over the past 15 years since I left camping as a camp director. And that's where I got to meet Ron. So Ron, if you want to share your story. I came to camp a little bit different. I had a different path. I was uh, the son of two teachers. So uh, both my parents were home in the summer. So we were always just kind of here uh, in the neighborhood at the house. So when I was 20 years old, girlfriend at the time, who was now my wife, found an article in the paper, job listing in the in the newspaper for summer jobs for camp. And at the time I was in college to be a teacher. So I thought, well, you know what, this would be a great opportunity to get some experience. I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't know anything about summer camp other than what I'd seen in movies. Never heard uh, YMCA Camp Matash before. Uh, so I applied. I remember my interview with Chris and another staff member. And that was kind of the day that I got hooked in. And from that day forward, camp became part of me. As I worked through camp, I eventually started to teach during the year. So I would go from being a teacher during the school year to go right into working at camp in the summers. And I did that for close to 20 years. Starting my 24th year as a teacher this year, I taught fourth grade for 11 years. I taught second grade for seven years. And now I am a library media specialist and I teach a design lab. Wow, that's awesome. I also teach elementary. I teach elementary music. So I love, awesome. absolutely love doing that. So, the- so tell us a little bit about each of your camp experiences. Where have you been with camping, with what organizations, and for how long? 
Waterbury YMCA served, uh, I think, 10 towns, and I, I could be off by a few. And the camp that we had in Watertown, Camp Matasha, had been pretty well established. It was about 75 years old when I was there. And the challenge was that there, there are a lot of the other communities that are Y served, but the bus routes really were too far enough away that people really didn't want to go. And so we started investigating and looking for property in the town of Southbury in the service area. And we ended up meeting a great local um, kind of a town connector who introduced us to a property that was owned by the state of Connecticut that they were starting to slowly close over time. It was a residential treatment facility for adults with disabilities. And, and they kind of phase out a lot of those programs from the state. And so the property was gorgeous. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of acres with hiking trails and woods and a big lake and swimming pool. And so it really was a perfect match for us. So we did a little bit of you know research in the community to see if there was an interest. And we started that camp around 1997, 1998. And I think our first session, we had 12 or 13 kids and pretty small numbers for the first year, but it grew very quickly. And it was funny because that was well before online registration. And so we would go to the PO box and pick up envelopes stuffed with camp registrations and get a sense of how many kids were coming. It was really, really exciting. And now the, the camp is still running. It's more than 20 years later and they have hundreds of kids that go through the camp every summer. And uh, it was really exciting. We had to do a lot in terms of building trust with the community and trying to leverage our good name from, from Camp Matasha and getting our camp director staff and out into the community so people have a sense of who they're leaving their kids with at this new facility. We had a lot of things that happened there that were tactically different than a, on a piece of property that you own, but that was great. Getting to start another camp uh, at the last Y I was part of um, that Yale and as well as a piece of property that the Girl Scouts own. So, you know, once you kind of do it once, you have a lot of lessons learned in terms of how you approach it and the things that you do. And I would love to hear more about starting new camps. Can you tell us a little bit about that? When I was at the Valley Shore Y, we had a uh, program director who had worked at the Girl Scouts before arriving at the Valley Shore Y. And he had said, look, the Girl Scouts, you know, have this empty, beautiful property. Um, you know, the Girl Scouts are, are selling a lot of their properties nationwide. And this was one of them that they still own, but they maintain. And it was, again, in a community that we served as the Y, but was too far away from our home branch for people to serve. And so that was really, it was a ready-made camp. We had a, a very generous lease agreement with the Girl Scouts. And uh, they had a ropes course and, you know, a lake with a swimming area and boats and really everything you could want. And so that, that was an easy, uh, easy entry point for us. But they went to sell the property the following year. We knew that was that was coming and we just didn't have the capacity to the property. Um, so we went onto the local, uh, in Connecticut anyway, we call it the GIS system, which is, uh, you know, kind of like has satellite images of who owns all the properties in town. And we just started looking for big swaths of property. And we found, you know, from looking at aerial views, we found, uh, looked like a big empty property on a big giant body of water and turned out it was owned by Yale. So we did a little investigating and uh, got a meeting with the person that supervised that property. And they were very hesitant at first to, to have us come in. You know, uh, Yale, given the size of the university, um, you know, 
risk management and safety protocols in place and hesitant to, you know, have a lot of people in, but they were uh, willing to do it and became very partners to us. And so we were able to offer, you know, that camp and that community up until the pandemic. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. I love that you have had that experience and you've been able to share it along with others as well, too. I'd love to hear how you both are still actively involved in the camping community. I think it was like 2006. And at the time, we were, we were both pretty heavily involved in camp. We're going to talk about how um, the risk to find all the things that we wanted to do. And we knew what we did out at, at Camp Matasha when we were there together. Uh, we did a lot of really great stuff. Talk to people who always wanted to know, like when we had new staff would come in, they want to know, well, where can I do this? I wanted to learn this activity. I want to learn this song. And there's really no place, enough collection that we thought that you could find all these things to use. And we, we kind of got together and we started to, we knew uh, how to do, we knew how to sing and the, uh, the crafts that we knew. And we tapped into other people who knew uh, different, different activities and different crafts. And we started to kind of collect them and put them in one place to find. And it was an interesting process. I do remember, and Chris, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we went to a camp conference. It was either, it might've been 2000, end of 2006 or early 2007, where we just started a big camp conference and people were already talking about us. And it was one of the most exciting things I've ever been, uh, been a part of. We just kind of overheard people mentioning our name. We're like, that's, that's us. That's something that we did. It was really, really wild. What's interesting is that when we started the website, people were really just starting to use the internet more regularly. Um, people were still probably using AOL and buying minutes just by the minute. And I know that a couple of years into having the site, you know, broadband became a thing and started the site. We, uh, we wanted to look to see how many people were using it. And we had so few people using the site for the first few weeks that Ron and I had to have a pact not to go to the site because we didn't want to throw off the traffic numbers. Like so our three or four visits would actually throw off our numbers. It's interesting now is we'll, we get um, a million unique visitors a year. And it's really exciting just to, to be able to do this content um, resources. And like Ron said, it's been really rewarding for us to hear the value that it's uh, brought to a lot of people. Um, been very uh, word facing. Uh, we just background working on the website. Um, we need to update it um, and do overhauls every couple of years as the technology changes. And, you know, I, I do have to say we are incredibly grateful for the camping community. One, for all the, the kind words that they share with us. But two, our site really wouldn't exist without a lot of the contributions from camp counselors and directors from around the country or actually around the world. So um, think about the future of the site, we are spending more of our time this year um, focusing on building our social media presence. Um, we have a pretty big YouTube following and uh, active, honestly, we've just been focused on maintaining the site. And uh, so this year we're so that we're going to kind of reinvigorate the, the site a little bit and add some new content and um, you know, our, our in, in presence on Instagram and TikTok and a fun process. It's Ron and I spend a lot of time on the weekend kind of kicking, kicking around ideas and uh, doing our reels for the week and things like that. So it's been, I feel the layers of boomer peeling off of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I love that. Well, I do. Large, I would say audiences are um, it's in Canada. 
but we do have um, a lot of English speaking countries or folks that speak English. Uh, we don't really have the capacity to translate uh, a lot of our apps. Uh, the, the, we've looked at some translation software, but it really doesn't capture the nuances, particularly in the songs and the skits and kind of inside jokes. And then the other thing that we learned is that aside from uh, a lot of our international counselors that we see here in the United States, um, and um, people are interested in the games and activities, the songs and the skits, again, a lot of times they're, they're kind of culturally different from what I kind of understand. And when people submit things, um, I was a little curious because it, it doesn't quite make sense to me sometimes. I think there's a, a language barrier, there's a um, perception of things that are a little bit different and uh, kind of learning that. And I, I wish I had more time or had more personal relationships with these folks to kind of dig a little bit deeper, but we get what people submit to us and then do our best to, to edit it and get it on the site. That's awesome. I, I love to hear that. I just want to take a look, make sure that, you know, uh, out there that most people are going to be able to understand. Um, of course, there's nothing or, or uh, derogatory. Um, we want to make sure that we can put out there that we're going to be able to share with however many uh, hundreds of thousands of people are going to check it out for us. Um, some of editing, um, Chris and I spent a lot of time editing and checking out uh, some activities that we put up in 2006 that maybe haven't aged so well uh, and we revise uh, or take them down completely. That, you know, uh, we try to stay current. Um, and maybe today is that 20, 23 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, they were funny. Uh, they may not have uh, aged the way that we would like them to, uh, and we don't want to put them out. So we, we kind of pay attention to the side the best we can and go through and make sure that um, things are... are um, appropriate to be used by anyone when they come to the site. We don't want to make sure, we want to make sure that everybody comes in and feels like they can uh, freely choose and that's out there. Where you guys are coming from with that um, site, just having songs and games. These are you guys offer resources for camps, like just camp staff resources as well. Could you guys kind of dive into that a little bit and to tell us a little bit? I have a, a small number of things that we've curated over the years that we've put under the camp staff resources section, but it's probably the most, you know, anemic on the whole site. And there's a great Facebook group called summer camp professionals 2.0. And they just recently posted something to the effect of, wouldn't it be great if we could all share like our theme days and camp schedules and the like, and, and, um, and like, wouldn't it be great if there's a website that collected all that stuff? <laughs> so I said, okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> we'd, be, we'd be happy to do that. Um, so Ron, about trying to uh, be more intentional with that. And so we'll probably, you know, use our, our social media presence and some of our networks to start to collect that information and, and elevate it a little bit. Because right now the camp staff resources section on our page, probably because it's not the most flushed out, is, is not as prominent as the other major categories like camp games, camp songs, camp fits. So, um, so I think in much bigger collection. And then the, interestingly, this is kind of for the, the, the tech that might, that might, the way people use the internet is really, really different. And we've organized the site in a way that's very logical. So, you know, you can click on camp activities and then you see camp games, camp skits, camp songs, and you click on one of those and then it's, you know, large group games, small group games, rainy day games. And so 
if you wanted to you know surf our site it's pretty logical but that's not how people look for any information anymore and so people look for things like what to do with my kindergartner camperners on a rainy day or you know how to talk with an irate parent at camp because their child you know and i over the past year have spent a lot of time kind of re uh you know recent and so i think this this resources that the camp directors in particularly want um will and so we'll probably end up writing more article type resources and that have kind of lists in them so you know best theme days for summer camp and things like that so uh, we got to try and figure that out and what that would look like so that it makes sense and is easy to find if you if you don't find us through google but that's kind of my long explanation for we're working on it <laughs> <laughs> i love that and i love the idea of creating those blog type article posts that kind of combine these lists together because you are right like the the internet is weird and how it you do your searches and everything like that and people are different when it comes to that. So I think that'll be a wonderful, wonderful resource for camp staff and camp professionals to have alike. Um, speaking of kind of coming in 2024, are there any other big things that are happening for the Ultimate Camp Resource that are underway or that listeners can look forward to? What we're trying to do now is is trying to niche out time to be more active on social media um, immunity. And uh, we don't talk when we go out and we meet with people is, you know, take their picture and share their story and just share, you know, one salient point about their experience that when you look at the stories as like a tapestry, it really reflects what people think about when they think of camp. So, um, you know, uh, talked about his story and what was one of the formative experiences of him becoming a camp, uh, camp person, you know, Ron and I and our camp stories. Um, we've got a few other interviews scheduled as well, but it's really based on like one point. And uh, so that's kind of fun to do. And again, that's kind of from my love of humans in New York. That's kind of how um, Brendan approaches it. And then uh, one of the things that we've talked about, we don't have uh, any concrete details, but we'd love to um, pick one or two of the campuses in 2024 and do a moth live storytelling style um, event where we can kind of have the night like, um, you know, the most important person or, you know, things that go bump in the night and let people get up and tell um, stories from camp um, that are very much on theme within a time frame and um, it, it's just a way to kind of for, for camp. Um, and then talked about is that, you know, everyone, if you're a camp person, you're, you're likely to be out somewhere with a group of your camp friends and you have one or two of your non-camp friends kind of standing there and you're like, uh, you wouldn't understand it's a camp thing. And we're laughing because everyone's got, it's a camp thing story. And so uh, our kids uh, were pre-snuck them into camp um, are now college students. Both of them are uh, in the arts in some way, shape or form. And so we thought it'd be fun to um, kind of let them um, and you put their artistic talent to use and, and sell some stickers and t-shirts as a way to support the site and give them some experience and let them pursue their passion, which includes art and camp. So um, we have started kind of a merchandise um, this past summer. And so that's kind of fun. So we, and it, that's just kind of burgeoning and, and we're working on that as well. Like just like your 
traditional camp sayings and stickers and stuff that you can have on like a water bottle or you're wearing a shirt of like all these camp songs that only like camp people know you're I mean into a world now where we're not where we feel more comfortable things and sharing that out so that we can feel more connected I mean I even in my for people to to know that and to be with each other and to have those conversations so I love that now I'm going to say to, to be quite honest stories, because that, uh, especially when I was, when I progressed, uh, the ranks of camp and I started to be a unit director and assistant camp director, and I was kind of in charge of these things. We didn't want to, um, scare too many of, of the, it really did. Um, it was, and, and that's not really what we wanted the, the uh, overnight experience to be about for them anyway. Um, cause we had, uh, the population that we served were a lot of, uh, campers who may have never spent a night away from home, never mind outside. Um, so we we're frightening. Uh, so we tried to make them funny. Spent a lot of campfire time uh, doing skits and singing and singing some of the songs that we all knew that everybody could participate in. Um, that from our experience and, and with our population, that that's what we, um, that we, well, I do have a, a story uh, that I remember from one of my, you'd like to hear that. Oh, I absolutely would. Would you mind sharing it with us, please? I, I would love to, because uh, I think about this one often, because it, it was it was really funny, uh, and it kind of it kind of uh, population not having a lot of experience outdoors. Um, I remember we were on uh, we had some some teenage um, teenage campers definitely never spent in, and certainly not out in any kind of wilderness setting, um, so they were going to stay over, and they didn't want the woods, so we decided to uh set up camp under one so not super campy but you know it was, it was camping and for them this was this was a big step um and at the time i had uh that i would bring on camp outs because um i don't know it was, i thought it would be fun to sleep in the trees um, and it was it was very comfortable and i really loved it so i had my hammock set up in between the the posts of the uh, pavilion uh and the kids that came back uh underneath underneath the pavilion you know, we did our campfire and we, and we did our s'mores and we sang and then it was time to go to bed. And, uh, I'm a light naturally, which get woken up and I can see what's going on. Um, that's actually helped out new on overnights. Uh, I heard some rustling, um, and I woke up, I just, I was awake enough to be aware. And I heard, uh, one of the campers said, what was that? And another one said, I don't know. What was that? And then I was like, what was that? What was that? And then uh, it got really quiet, and I thought maybe, maybe it could have been a, a, a just just. And then I heard uh, kind of a like a like a real nervous rumble from one of the one of the campers, and and uh, I heard it's looking at me. So I said, okay, I got to get up now. So uh, I got up and I kind of flashed my light quickly. Uh, and then I quickly turned it off because I saw what it was. And there was a, a skunk that had very nearly crawled onto the chest of this of this poor kid. Um, and, you know, he had never seen it. Uh, so now with my light off, I have to uh, carefully uh, coax this skunk pavilion off of this this camper sleeping bag uh, without provoking it. Uh, and, you know, um, a much uh, <laughs> it took a little bit of, of you know, uh calming uh patience hey please move don't say anything and certainly don't scream here's what we're gonna do i'm gonna take care of it as long as you don't move uh, i kind of started flashing my my light off to the side and eventually uh the, the skunk followed the light and, and left 
Uh, but as soon as we kind of sat and then for another hour, we all talked about how the kid just, he just, it's looking at me. And that's something that kind of stuck with me because it, it made me laugh at the time. I couldn't laugh, uh, but we really laughed about it for, for days after that. Very impressive. And that's something that we talked about uh, for being outside for their first night and, and not completely losing his mind um, with the skunk. And he kind of described that he could see, uh, the the flash of the moonlight in its eyes, and then and his eyes glow. So all he saw was his eyes looking at him, um, and he, he didn't panic, which was advantageous for all of us because that, that could have gone uh, very poorly. Wow, well that was a great story. I'm, I'm really brought the and you know and, and kind of see that see that, and then all of my kids go to camp. Two of theirs, um, and then the other two are CITs. So that's kind of exciting. I get to live the camp experience through them. And so we did start recording some new content this year. Um, Ron and I and my son uh, filmed a bunch in our yard. Um, we, <laughs> they haven't, we haven't released him kind of a funny, a funny twist. And so that was kind of fun just to do some new things. And then um, locally, I've done a couple of things after I, a couple of the local camps that are here in town that friends of mine uh, run. Um, and unfortunately, the first camp, I think we did 13 games, and my my camera did not work after the first two seconds. And so we, we didn't get anything. So we're, we're looking at doing like a fall um, Saturday with, you know, a bunch of camp staff that want to come and hang out and do something fun for a morning and give them some T-shirts and buy them lunch and, and then film, you know, 40 or 50 games. So um, we're, we're going to be working on that in the fall and the week and, and more to come on that. But for next year... Um, we have some plans to, you know, go staff during their staff training and, and then record while we're doing some games stuff with them. But, you know, between Ron and I, we both work full time and, and keep pretty busy with our families and work. And so, uh, we're trying to, you know, be very intentional with our calendar so that we can keep the content fresh and keep, again, keep saying personally was involved in as a camp staff member, none of them had camp names, but I will say <laughs> I can't really want to tell you the story, but so we, um, <laughs> when I was a, uh, CIT um, the camp director one day introduced me as Mr. Fun, right? And so and he goes, Hey, we're going to call Chris, we're going to call Mr. Fun. And so I went up and, you know, and after that, for the next four years, that's all I heard at camp. And to the point where I just, that's, that's all I kind of, that's kind of what the kids called me. And during the school year when i was in college i was working at a restaurant um the d'angelo's in sullington with uh and it was a really busy restaurant i remember it's like you know you get 30 people in line and you're got stuff you're making sandwiches and you're working the grill and and um and all of a sudden like the world stopped because i realized i heard someone say mom it's mr fun (laughs) (laughs) everybody everyone in line all of my coworkers just stopped and slowly looked at me and I was like, uh, I didn't, even, I didn't, even, <laughs> do. um, so yeah, I was like, you know, yes, yes, that's me. <laughs> so that's the only camp nickname I've ever had. There are uh, some issues with my name, but not issues so much, but, uh, I would end up with, uh, students that would come uh, that I worked with at school would come to the camp and, and it would go all of a sudden from Mr. DeFazio to now it's okay to call me Ron. And that was, that was weird for a lot of the kids. It was also weird for me. Um, and it made for 
the first week of school going back, um, an interesting conversation. Be like, hey, so you know, it's not camp anymore. It's Mr. DeFazio again. But when we go back to camp next summer, you can call me Ron. Um, so that that's a um, that's camp name. Now I kind of wish I did. <laughs> I'll give you one, Ron. <laughs> Campy questions here, and I, I understand how big of a question this is since you guys have pulled together the website of the Ultimate Camp Resource. But I would love to hear if you both could pick a favorite song or a favorite few songs. What would those be? Camp song, um, and I end up with one that was taught uh, by a couple of uh, high ropes course trainers that came out one year to do some training for us, and they. Uh, sung this song for us and I absolutely loved it. Um, it's called the Buffalo song. Um, it comes with a joke. It's a, it's a repeat, a lot of fun to sing, but it, um, it's a, a song that it's a, it was part of a, a, a parquet commercial that nobody knows. Uh, so it's a, it's a song that nobody would get and at the time when I was singing it. Um, everybody loved it. Cause there's, there's hand motions and there's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a very, um, but when I would sing it at camp, would, would laugh and have some fun with it, but they would never get the joke. Um, and when I'd sing it at family nights, that's what that's when parents at the end would kind of groan because they kind of got it and then giggle. Uh, but I think now uh, I don't I don't think anybody would even get the joke anymore. <laughs> but it was my favorite song, and it was kind of the song that I was known for. Uh, whenever we needed to fill in some time and we needed a song, uh, you know, I would be nominated to sing the Buffalo song. Awesome. What about you, Chris? I had two favorite songs. I um, I loved Herman the Worm. Uh, I'm actually wearing a Herman the Worm t-shirt right now. And uh, also the bear hunt. And one of my favorite mementos from any of the wise I worked at is I got a little little trophy with a big bear pond and it says, you know, world's greatest bear hunter or something like that. And so, uh, yeah, those are my those are my two favorite. Oh, I love that. Now, are either one of you singers by chance? So not a lot of experience with camp meals like at a, at a, a residence camp. But the, I guess I'll say two things. Uh, camp Hazen here in Chester, Connecticut, we get to spend a lot of time there um, with our wives in Connecticut. They're not officially a meal, but one of my favorite things on the planet. But when I was a kid, the camp I went to used to provide orange drinks with lunch. The sugary, sweet probably gross as an adult, but orange drinks that came with lunch. And so from the time I was six years old until I left Camp Sloper, that was what we got. And so I can still to this day, like if I think about it, smell like what your fingers smell like afterwards. And um, again, not a meal, but that's the closest I can. Um, you know, a couple times a, uh, a couple times a session, and I would usually do the cooking. Um, and you haven't lived until you've eaten a, a old rusty grill. I got to tell you that. <laughs> I guess, no, you really haven't. I guess for us in Missouri, it's a fish. Um, <laughs> you haven't lived if you haven't eaten a fish from the lake off of an old rusty grill. But I don't know about Connecticut or New York. Cultural changes. Um, but one of the special service camp, Matasha, was the, we called it the daughter and son of Matasha. And it's had a number of iterations. Um, you know, there's probably a fair amount of culturation at the beginning when Ron and I started there and we, we slowly changed the, the ceremony to, to be a little bit more 
Um, well, less culturally appropriating about the, the spirit of the award where we recognize a kid every session, one, one boy and one girl who uh, exemplifies the values of camp. And, you know, it was, it was great. I, I always enjoyed it because the kids would get real quiet and they'd look around and wonder if it was them. And the, the kids who got called up were, you know, they had this very solemn look on their face. They were a little bit nervous to be up in front of everybody, but also excited to be honored and a little bit embarrassed. And um, that was always actually a really, a really fun tradition. Tradition is something that you do uh, year after year. Um, I got to thinking a little bit about some of the, the dress up days that we did every year. And we, yeah. we used to um, like really make our dress up days like the, um, and one of my favorites was our, our uh, gold rush. Oh yeah. It was uh, just a, this massive project that we, we put together every year uh, where we find, you know, we'd have to get gold rock to uh, hide gold rocks around camp and set up a whole event with a script and characters and backstories and everybody comes, all the staff comes dressed up and the kids would come dressed up in a, in a Western theme. Uh, and we would run through this entire day uh, where we turn Kamatashin to a, a Western town. Um, and, you know, uh, people stay in character it's, and we had cowboys and uh, at the end we'd have uh, um a bad trial. So we'd have to have a judge and we'd have lawyers and uh, we'd hold a, a trial trial by the water and, and every year end up having to uh, take a watery dip into the pond. And everybody loved it. Uh, it was something we did every year. It was one of my favorite days of the summer. Yeah. You know, I agree. And I was kind of thinking when you think of tradition, I was thinking more of like the, the sentimental type stuff, but I do think some of the annual things like um, uh, color games, goal list, um, when Ron and I worked together, we would a fair amount of time trying to pull one major prank. Um, <laughs> and I'd say the one that in my mind, if I wanted to remember, be remembered for anything, it's the year we had an entire unit of kids abducted by aliens. <laughs> and, um, oh. yeah. we had kids to go on a field trip to a local state forest, but we announced at lunchtime that the, the unfortunately the trip would be canceled and the kids would just be staying at camp. And so they were disappointed and in, in, in the like, but um, what we did is that um, after dinner, we thought they were going to their campsites, but we actually sent them to the back side of the camp to get on a bus to go on their, their overnight field trip. And so we had a, you know, for campfire, we kept calling for the, the, the unit and the kids and none of the counselors were there. None of the kids were there. So like, geez, that's weird. And someone will look for them. And, you know, we didn't make a big deal out of it, but we, we wanted all the other kids to know that the other kids didn't come down that night. And uh, then the next morning they didn't show up for breakfast. And then we started to get concerned. And we had a volunteer who always uh, was part of our jokes, um, came as an FBI agent and the entire camp and asked them if they saw any weird things. And so we just, we just carried it on and carried it on until the kids found evidence that there was a UFO. Um, and then we sent the kids out on an all-camp staff hunt looking for the kids. And by that time, they had returned, and they had hid in the woods. And so the campers would slowly find the older campers that were missing. And they would have crazy stories about bright lights. And, and to this day, I still get people to say, remember that time? Yeah. Thank you for sharing. My next question is, I'm wanting this podcast to go on for a very long time. So I ask all of my guests, who should I interview next? 
Pawtucket YMCA, but just left the, the Nashville Association. He's kind of a legend in the camping world. Um, I think he, he probably has, um, you know, I know, uh, I don't know if you've interviewed time camp guy, he's got some good stories. Um, Dan Weir, who, um, I've just started to kind of get to know a little bit better. Um, uh, I'm sure he's got some great stories in the, in the camping community. Um, I don't know, Ron, if you have any, uh, yeah, he's a, a, an amazing, passionate camp guy. Uh, he would, he would be a great interview. Yeah. And I also think too, like, um, you know, Justin Hubini, who's probably one of the biggest day camps in the country, uh, would be great. Um, Adam Dubois from Camp Natasha, another guy. These are guys that we know really well that just, you know, have great camp energy and, and have a lot of stories. And, um, I recommend either one of those guys as well. Oh, and I do have one camp director at YMCA Camp Hazen and, um, under her leadership, they've done a lot around supporting uh, transgender campers and inclusive environments. And so, you know, she she would probably have some really good stories and insight and, you know, impactful uh, lessons to share around that. But I, I do think that she does some of the, the you know, more progressive work in the camp. Uh, and she's got, you know, great actors. So. <laughs> And then they can certainly website. Um, we've got a contact us button on the website. So yeah. All right, Camp Kids, that was Chris and Ron. Make sure to follow them on Instagram and check out their website in the show notes. If you're liking this podcast, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Make sure that all of our Camp Kids out there are getting connected to the Camp Kids podcast community. Please leave us a rating or review, preferably a five-star rating so that others can help find this podcast. Later this week, I'm dropping a short episode on homesickness at camp, so make sure you stay tuned for that. That's all that I have for you for now, but remember that this is good night and not goodbye.